Welcome to the Round Pegs Square Holes podcast, hosted by myself, Sebastian Bates, and Timothy Fair Matthews. A podcast made by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. We're launching our podcast with a series of raw but real interviews with some of the world's leading business mentors, industry experts, and entrepreneurs with incredible stories. Our goal is to inspire, educate, and entertain. So if it's your first time joining us, make sure you go back to episode one and don't miss a thing as you listen to incredible insights from our speakers. This is the Round Pegs Square Holes podcast. Hi guys, welcome back to today's live interview as part of the Inspiring Pivots series. I'm here today with Danny Savage, who is a music industry podcaster and founder of DJ Growth Lab. As soon as the Spanish lockdown started and flights started cancelling, business ground to a halt. Um, and to keep your team employed, Danny, uh, your business and afloat, uh, you, you have to basically get your business online as quickly as possible. Um, and a lot, a lot emerged from that. So I'd love to dive in to all of the details with you today on how you managed to rapidly pivot online. So, um, so welcome, Danny. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me, Sebastian. No problem. Too. How's your How's your week been? Um, brilliant. Um, we were allowed out from Monday, so we've been on really strict lockdown. We live in Ibiza, um, so Spain, and um, we've had a really strict lockdown. We've only just been re- allowed to exercise recently, and then uh, phase one of the reintroduction uh, started on Monday, so we, we could take our kids out, and we can go to there's bars and restaurants open. We can socialize, go to friends' houses, and, uh, as long as there's less than a group of ten. So yeah, it's like we're free again. <laughs> Just being able to drive from one end of the island to the others uh, was, that made me smile all day on Monday. Uh, yeah, so you're, you're still in a lockdown, but even if, just because the lockdown's changed slightly, it feels like you're back to normal, right? Oh yeah, is um, and there's a bit of a there's a buzz around again. The town centres, there's people around the towns, and you go yeah. past all the bars and restaurants with people sat outside and. Uh, you'd notice everyone smile a lot more. I'll tell you that this week. Uh, and they're still managing to like, even at the bars and the restaurants, they're still managing to keep everyone apart. Yeah, they've, I think they've re- reduced the capacity by 50%. And uh, I think it's got to be an outside terrace. So it's got to be open air. So there's yeah. a lot of people have opened the frontage, uh, like they've got glass at rolls up or they've got a good outdoor terrace section. But unfortunately, there are a lot of casualties as well with the 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 restaurant businesses and cafes, some of our favorite locals have been going for decades of, are now shut down up for sale. And that yeah. was sad to see. You don't see the, the extent of how, what it's done for the island until you actually drive around and see the uh, for sale signs in all these places. Totally. Um, I guess, you know, I'd be there. A big part of that is, is tourism, right? And with, oh, yeah. with no fans and a questionable year ahead for, for tourism, that's, that's a big worry. Yeah, it's crippling. It's um, like the nightlife industry over here is one of the main things. And yeah, I've got friends with all sorts of different businesses, boating businesses where they've had to take all the boats off water because they can't keep them moored anymore due to the fees. And um, the the big nightclubs, obviously, it's looking like they're not going to be open until next year now. Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, everyone's unsure if flights are going to even start again this summer or if it's we're predicting it's going to be September, October, November um, for tourism. But that leaves that short window of opportunity for people to get a, year, a year's worth of income, really. 
Yeah. Like most people, Olivia used that window, which is a five or six month window to feed the family for the whole year. And now that's reduced to two months. So it's even, I think there's going to be be quite uh, an exodus, I think, when the flights really? start again. There'll be a lot of people that can't afford to live here, moving back to where there are the home countries, for example, and it is an expensive mm. place to live. So, um, yeah, right. Yeah. I, I mean, I think we're probably going to see something similar here in Dubai, but ultimately, you won't know until until we know, do we? Really? Um, but uh, I mean, we, we were going to do this uh, interview a, a week or so ago, weren't we? But yeah, something. What was it? You were doing something incredible. <laughs> so we did the um, we did the world's biggest DJ event. So it was the biggest DJ <laughs> event and and the world's biggest DJ live stream. Um, so I'm I'm an ambassador for a charity. Pardon? Did you get it on Guinness Book of Records or something? Or? No, because you have to pay. Honestly, we've done. Oh. We've already. Do, I'll tell you about another world record we've done as well, where we couldn't. We we have to pay them quite a lot of money to come with you, and yeah. uh, it's three grand. And um, we we climbed Kilimanjaro a few years ago for the same charity. We did the world's highest DJ set with a DJ called Nightmares on Wax, um, and we did we did seven days climbing Kilimanjaro with all speakers and uh, sound system. And when we hit the summit, we went into a volcano crater and we filmed it all. And we did the world's highest DJ set. I actually interviewed him on my podcast last week. And uh, we talked about how I accidentally pulled the wrong plug out and wiped his whole world record set by accident. And we never told anyone until this week. So, <laughs> but yeah, oh, but yeah. Um, I'm an ambassador for a charity called Last Night, a DJ Saved My Life. Um, and it's all through electronic music initiatives and bringing the dance music community together to raise funds for uh, families in crisis all around the world. Um, so we've been talking about the this set for love for for quite a while about doing something online, and I actually it was one of my coaching clients. I was speaking to her about um, her joining forces with loads of DJs in Switzerland to come together and do a big like connected live stream through all her connections in Switzerland. And I just had this idea, and I said to her, I said, "Do you know what? We're going to do the world's biggest live stream." And like after the coaching call. I found uh, Johnny Leop, who's the founder of Last Night at DJ Saved My Life. And um, I told him, and he said, I've got the exact same idea. Let's do it. When can we do it? And um, it literally, we did it in like 10 days, two weeks from talking about it. And um, we ended up with a team of 15 of us all in a Slack channel, all working for free. We had PRs. We had social media marketing experts. We had videographers. We had graphic designers. We had a whole team all around the globe. Um, all on Zoom calls every day. And we put this together and we managed to get 10,000 DJs into a Facebook group and onto our, to sign up online through and join our email list and get a DJ pack, which had like a, a, a live streaming OBS uh, overlay. So we had like a, like a template for the screen with all the donate links and stuff and some graphics on there. And it was all called Set for Love. Um, so it was all about everyone streaming on the three days last week on the 8th, 9th and 10th of May. And you could choose your own set time. You can do it on whatever platform you want, as long as you put our set for love link to donate. So uh, we had 10,000 DJs sign up and we raised £50,000 in the in three days uh, all around the world. DJs coming together and playing music and collecting collecting donations on just giving and Facebook and all, it all went back into one central place and the money's already actually been distributed. So the good thing about last night, a DJ, it's not a big corporate company it's run by uh, friends. Uh, really. It's a registered charity in the UK uh, and the money got straight away sent to Tanzania and other countries and Nepal. Uh, and there's families already, 
eating and drinking because of the money that got raised like three or four days ago. So, wow, amazing. Yeah. Really, and really. Not, the thing is, it's that we, we did it for that last weekend. It's actually not stopped. So it, well, like Monday came and then we've arranged loads of other sets for big international artists on weekdays. So every day we've done another big one. So we've been promoting that and we've had more emails going out. We've had the, So it's like, it's not stopped. That was just like the launch of it. I'd say so. It's something that's going to be ongoing. People can do virtual events, and then when real life starts again, they can do a, a club night or a, a garden party, whatever. So it's going to be an initiative that we keep going forever uh, and bringing DJs together to to raise money. I mean, if you bring you bring ten thousand people into a group, it's not it's not going to stop anytime soon. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That, that's You've created a bit of a monster now. I think. I know that. Yeah, everyone, oh, come to Monday, and I had to. I had to take some family time off. Um, I'm like, and everyone's like, "What do we do with this group?" I'm like, uh, uh, switch posts off, moderate posts. Um, I don't know. It's like there's so many questions. There's people joining. There's 300 waiting to join, and it's just yeah, it's just going to keep growing and growing. So, so, so before. Before you um, decided to to break a world record by bringing you know over ten thousand DJs together in the middle of a global pandemic to raise fifty grand for a charity, yeah. What 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 brought you into uh, into becoming a DJ in the first place? What's what's your background? What's your story? So when I were about nine, I think nine ten, um, I got into listening to like rave music. It was called then. Um, so I got some tapes and mixtapes off the older kids who you always look up to and think the cool kids. So if they're, if they love it, you, 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 yeah. So I got some mixtapes and that were me. Um, and then I got, I started listening to like a local pirate radio station and I always, then from that age, I just wanted to go clubbing. I wanted to be a raver and I had, I had older cousins that used to go clubbing and they used to tell me what it was like. And like all my whole childhood from then I focused on can't wait till I'm 16, 17, 18, I can go out raving. Um, and yeah, I just fell in love with the music. And I, but I don't know if I fell in love with the music or the business because I started selling mixtapes at high school when I went to high school. And uh, I, all these mixtapes that I got off all the older kids, I started copying them and then making, uh, I had some like uh, inlays designed for the cassette tapes and I was printing them off, and I was going to that was my first year at high school, and I was selling the tapes to all the all the kids at school. So I had a business from that from that age. So, and I used that money as well as milk round money to buy my first DJ decks. How old were you? This is, this is when you pretty much started thinking kind of entrepreneurially and uh, and creating creating products to sell, right? How how old were you then? Um, I'd say about 11, 12. Okay, cool. I think my first ever entrepreneurial uh, venture was I bought some bankrupt stock off a neighbor when I was about eight or nine and went door to door selling velour cushions and bins. <laughs> and I met a grand and more money than, more money than my dad. <laughs> Amazing. I love that. That's, that's how it is, right? And then, did, so, so was, was there a time where you, where you, you know, you, you're 11, 12, you got older? Did you, did you carry that on or did you, did you get a job or how, how did it go with you? So I bought my first decks at 13, 12, 13. I bought vinyl decks and I started buying records. Um, and I was quite troublesome at school. I, I would, I'd say very ADHD type. And um, I just couldn't concentrate on things I didn't enjoy. 
And I was very disruptive. I wasn't like, I didn't bully people or I, I always attended. I was just very disruptive because I couldn't, my attention span. Um, so yeah. I actually got kicked out of school at 15 before I was meant to leave school. So I never did any exams or anything like that. And then at 16, I went into a, I went into a joinery at uh, Huddersfield Technical College. So um, was it Ben, not Ben's joinery, shop fitting. So it's like erecting, uh, building bars. It was actually, my work experience were at a bar company building brand new uh, Weatherspoons bars. Um, so yeah, I went and did that. And then again, I was disruptive there. I just couldn't concentrate. Even though I loved it, I loved having banter more. Um, so, um, that didn't last too long. I couldn't survive on the money. I wanted to go out clubbing and I wanted to, um, I couldn't survive on 60 quid a week, basically. And my dad decided to move to Birmingham. Uh, my mum and dad separated when I was about 13 and then I was living with my dad and he decided he got a job in Birmingham. He decided to move to Birmingham and I didn't want to go. So I had to move. I had a flat on my own at 17 in the town centre where I'm from. Uh, wow. Town called Heckman Dwight. So I had no qualifications and no money. And uh, I got I got my first flat in the town centre. So I had to fend for myself um, from from the start, really. Yeah. Uh, I mean, really crap jobs that I hated just to pay my way to um, afford to go out on a weekend. Because I live for, for going out. Night mm. clubbing, everything I dreamt of when I was 10, that's what I did. <laughs> so mm. we're out partying every weekend, going to all the big nightclubs, traveling to Liverpool and Birmingham. And from, I'm from Leeds originally. So I used to travel a lot and like I'll bang into it. I, I love I'm a religious clubber and I went out nearly every single weekend without fail, somewhere different in the in the country with cars full of mates, getting hotels or whatever. Um and then so yeah, just I did all sorts of crap dead end jobs just to get by basically and um the djing never really took off i did get some gigs but i never really i never really got anything that like was regular at paid um back then you had to get you had to do mixtapes and send them off in jiffy envelopes to the nightclubs and it, it was you had to put a lot of hard work into it it's not like now you just throw up a, a mix on soundcloud and uh, hope for the best and so yeah so I went through quite a few jobs, what I hated. And then my big break, so to speak, was a friend asked me to DJ at her, her uh, I think it was her 18th birthday. And I were about 24, 25, something like that. And she asked me to DJ at her birthday. And I actually stopped DJing for a few years and then got back into it just recently because there were a new sound that come out, uh, Electro. <clears throat> and I went to Ibiza and I bought some new vinyl. I went back to England with my new vinyl. And then I DJed at her party, and the party was like it was like a nightclub. It was in a working men's club in a in a in a village in Leeds called Otley, and I DJed and it was like it was like a club, and it was like this is what I've always wanted to do. It was like the busiest club I'd ever played in because there were like two two hundred people like still there when all the parents and grandmas had all gone home. It turned into a rave, and yeah. uh, it got to like two in the morning, and everyone had a whip round in a in a cap with loads of money. And uh, they came and asked me to stay on for another few hours. And I said, yeah, they're 150 quid there. And I'm like, yeah, damn right. And um, and I, I got loads of drinks bought. And yeah, it was just a really good party. And I thought to myself after this, I said, is there a nightclub in this town? Because that was off the scale. And um, everyone, there were no such thing. There were no nightclubs there. There was bars. So 
I set out to put on the first club night in this in this village town. I don't know if it's classed as a town or a village, but um and we we got a back room of a wine bar, what we usually use for line dancing classes and stuff to hire out for local uh events. And the guy uh hires it out and we sold we come up with a brand name called Filth. And we did flyers and tickets, and we sold it out in uh, 350 tickets, I think. We sold it out with two weeks to go before the event. And it was just me and a couple of mates on the lineup. There were no big DJs. And um, we just, what I, what I learned using MySpace. So I jumped on MySpace. That's uh, that's how old it was. <laughs> and uh, I think I was, I was known as Danny Spamage because I had these I had these spamming tools that posted flyers on everyone's walls. So I had all these friend, friend adding tools. So adding clubbers using keywords, um, uh, people that were involved in the Leeds nightlife scene. And then once they friended me, it posted a flyer on the wall. And um, yeah, so I it's <laughs> <laughs> like 12 years ago. So automating club promoting back then. So how? So with, with that example, I mean, how long did it take you to come up with the idea and then launch it? Because it sounds like it was really quick. Oh yeah, I think that's my thing. Yeah, that's definitely my skill. Like thinking yeah. of an idea and just implement instantly, and yeah. that's also a downfall because it's like it's chaos, but yeah. it works. <laughs> so yeah, it was really. It were, I think it was like six weeks. Um, it took us to think of an idea, come up with a brand, get a design, build a MySpace page, build it up, market it, and then launch it. And sell tickets, and uh, yeah, we sold out with two weeks to go. It was proper surreal as well. We had the we had the deck set up on a grand piano in the corner. Um, local gypsies came down to gate crash it, so there was a big fight outside. It was proper like uh, mm -hmm. local town shit, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't, yeah, it definitely wasn't the glitz and glamour of Ibiza. Anyway, it was. Uh, oh, so times have changed for you then. Now you're in, now you're now you're a high roller in uh, in Ibiza, mate. What's the so what what brought you to to move, to move abroad then? What brought me to move abroad? So I've when I when I'd actually launched the club night properly at a proper club, that was just a start, and then after that, we never did it there again. Um, the owner didn't want us there for a start. It wasn't the sort of but we'd outgrown it already, so we moved to a bigger club, um, and. I'd already planned before I launched it to do a summer in Ibiza, so I sold all my sold all my possessions. Something I'd always wanted to do. I used to watch Ibiza Uncovered on telly when I was a kid, and it, I always wanted to go live there. And it, it looked amazing, obviously. And um, so I sold all my possessions. One thing I, that haunts me to this day: I threw all my mixtapes away, all, all my music collection. I threw it. I can't believe uh, I did that. But everything got sold. I was an avid collector of. Adidas trainers, I had a pimp trainer collection. I sold everything and the money I used, I went and lived a year in a bit, well, a summer in Ibiza. So the life as an Ibiza worker is literally breadline living. You work, mm -hmm. you, you do a crap job just to survive and pay the rent. And so you can go out and party every night. Um, so that was the life. But I realized when I got there, um, I got a job selling tickets for um, a club night and I was ended up being the best ticket seller. And my strategy, everyone else was out on the streets. I ran in a grand a week, sat in my apartment using MySpace and Facebook. And I was getting groups of people all around the country who were coming over in big groups of 20 and 25. And then I was meeting them, selling them all the tickets, uh, arranging tickets for other clubs and trips and stuff, introducing them to taxi drivers. 
Um, so Mate, I love when people were sweating on the street, walking around for eight hours, badgering uh, strangers. I, I had like an organized infrastructure on online. system in place. What, what year was this? 2006, I think. So, so guys, guys watching, you probably thought this was actually a, um, you know, you probably thought this was going to be an inspiring pivot series. But actually, what we're going to do is, is we're going to dive deep into MySpace. We're going to teach you, <laughs> you can really use MySpace to, uh, you know, to, to use the same tools as uh, Danny Spanish did um, to have people lining up at your business. <laughs> well, the, my MySpace account still there. We I did a webinar on this a while ago, and I actually dug my old MySpace account up, and uh, it's quite no funny. Way. <laughs> so are people still using it then? Pardon? Are people still using MySpace? It's still there, but I don't, I don't think people are still using it. <laughs> um, that that guy, Tom, remember Tom? He, he got out of there. He's, have you seen Tom from who owns MySpace? He's, uh, no. He sold it for millions. I think my really in billions, and now he just documents him flying around the world spending it. It's brilliant. He's got, an, he's got an Instagram, Tom from MySpace. You need to follow him. <laughs> Tom from MySpace. That's it, man. <laughs> I, I, I love that in 2006, while everyone else was doing the same thing they had always done to, to you know, to, to, for that role, for that specific way of generating revenue, right? You were looking at it in a very different way. You were looking how you could how you could automate and build systems and, and use tech to, yep. to essentially, you know, leverage your own time. Um, Leveraging my network as well. It's, uh, I know, yeah. yeah, it was through running a club night, you get to meet people all around the country and from clubbing and all around the world now obviously but back then i knew people in every city and when you come to a beef you usually come with a group big group of friends so the bigger the group the more tickets i'd sell so it was yeah. finding out finding these groups putting out the feelers and using my network to uh, leverage yeah wow really really interesting so so from from then until now what what happened um so the club night I launched, it went really successfully. The season after that, uh, we moved to Ibiza and got our own villa. So we had a big four-bedroom villa on the coast with sea view. It was like it was like a movie scene. For two years, we had like international DJs coming in and playing on the roof, and we had like fire-breathing acrobats on the roof, and we had, yeah, it was just it was pretty crazy. Um, so we living the dream then with this yeah so we, like, we did two we did two. You, you ever imagined was was sort of coming true for you right yeah 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 sometimes i look back now and think i can't even believe we did it, it uh, yeah, right. <laughs> but yeah so we did two years we did two years in the filth filler and we i managed to run club nights over here the club night got pretty successful we had residencies at ministry of sound in london every three months and we had sankeys in manchester we had a residency at space in ibiza uh we did i managed to play and get my brand in glastonbury um secret garden party uh burning man festival so more or less done book, bucket list every single bucket list i could imagine we've played at and had a presence there um wow. So I managed to, I was on Dragon's Den a, a few years ago and I talked to, I did this in my pitch and um, it were about the looking out of this. I had an ice cream van, what we converted into a DJ booth and yeah. uh, all the festival paid us to go in with this ice cream van and we brought a big crew of DJs into all the festivals and we, we DJed from this ice cream van and we were at Glastonbury and I looked out and they were like, I was dressed as a, as a cavalier or some crazy stuff. And um, I looked down, there were like a thousand people all dancing around this ice cream van with a big sound system. It was 
<laughs> yeah, we managed to do quite a lot in such a little time. So, like, my, we, I just like, I'm, I'm really, I just want to do it all quickly and grow up yeah. fast. And that's like sort of where I work. Um, so, within months of launching, we were doing all the biggest clubs in the UK and I was pitching and going to meet the club owners and that, and like saying, look, I can bring 400 people from Leeds on coaches to Manchester to your club. And they'd be like, no one's ever brought more than 100. Everyone always says this. And then it got to the point where I sold all 400 tickets and he had to stop giving me tickets because he said he's going to start losing money. And then we took we took all these coaches and completely took over this nightclub in Manchester uh, called Tankies. And um, the upstairs room, what we were hosting, were busier than the main room with a big DJ downstairs because we took such a big following. It was... Uh, wow. Yeah. Amazing, amazing. So, so we, weeks, but I mean, in the last few weeks before the lockdown happened, what was what was business like before the lockdown? What was sort of you know day to day, week to week business like? So, from I, I stopped running the club night about five years ago, and um, so I, I can't. That's not what I do anymore. So, I had a break from uh, nightclubs, and I had two years off completely. Went traveling with my girlfriend, and uh, I did an online course, Ramit Sethi's Zero to Launch course, and it were all about building an online business. And and one of the first parts of the course is about um, testing out what you should do. And I kept not wanting to go down the the rabbit hole of nightclubs. I wanted to get away. I wanted I'd sort of like wash my hands of nightclubs because I associated it with partying all the time and going out. Uh, and I like to think I'd changed and uh, I was more focused on business. And it sort of like pushed me back towards that sort of thing. So nightclub, so it's it like how to create an online course. So I thought, okay, I'm going to have to teach people how to run nightclubs, right? Club nights, club promoters. And then when I did my market research, every club promoter started off as a DJ. So I thought, okay, so I need to teach DJs how to market and build a brand um, so they can then go on to launch club nights and be a club promoter. So um, I did that quite a few years ago, about four years ago. And then I started blogging, uh, writing marketing blogs for DJs, how to market on social media and stuff. So that went on for about a year and I managed to probably get about three or 4,000 subscribers off my blog. I never monetized it at all. I didn't have any, I, I had another events company at the time. Um, so after the blog, not after the blog, about a year after I'd started the blog, um, I did a webinar with Dan Meredith um, about setting up a Facebook group. And uh, Dan Meredith has been in KPI as well, funnily enough. And I joined his group. I did this webinar and setting a Facebook group up with a girl called Claire Dowdall, I think it was. And um, straight after it, I went and set up a Facebook group. I emailed my whole list from my blog subscription, pushed them all into this group, called it DJ Growth Lab. It took me about an hour to think of a name. Um, and straight away, it just popped off. It was just after Christmas 2017, and it popped off and grew really quickly. And one thing I, uh, I realized in the group was that it was like coming into January and I was setting goals and no one in the group set goals. And it's like DJs weren't into the sort of personal development and business world. They were into music and that were it. And I thought, this is why they struggle so much. Um, so I came up with an idea to write a book and that took three days. And I, I had a team, I hired a team in Ibiza um, and we wrote this 
book called DJ Golds in three days and then sold it to the group. And we sold quite a lot and made quite a bit of money. And that went back into building the business and marketing the business and um, bringing in experts to do webinars. And that's how I started doing webinars. So this all was born really quickly um, in that time. Um, and then, yeah, so that's grown over the last two and a half years, three years. And it's grown into an online platform where we put together training courses. We have a membership. Um, we uh, launched our villa retreats a few years ago. So that's like we, we, have a, we have villas in Ibiza and 10 people from all around the world fly in and spend a week in the villa and with some, some of the world's biggest artists, musicians, music producers, DJs, and they learn music production, um, wow. DJ skills. So... So fast forward three years and we did, I think we did about two or three, we did three retreats last year and three retreats the year before. And I set myself a goal this year to get a villa for the whole year and have it as like a base. Um, so we don't have to keep checking in and checking out and and mm -hmm. get a different chef every time and all that. So it was like a, a fully functioning school, but in a luxury villa. And so that was the goal I set myself last year. And uh, we managed to find a villa um, this year, around about January, February time. Um, but we'd already started marketing and selling the retreats. So we'd already sold 45 places on the retreats before we found the villa. Yeah. Um, in a beef, you have to find a tourist license. You have to have, find a villa with a tourist license or you can't. It's really difficult uh -huh. to find. Yeah. So we literally found the perfect villa and signed the contract and paid the deposit a couple of weeks before... Um, COVID-19 hit. We wow. just also moved into a brand new office, which we were turning into a podcast studio because I'm a big podcast advocate. I had an, I've got an iTunes number one podcast, DJ Growth Lab podcast. So I wanted to, I wanted it to be like a Joe Rogan setup, like yeah. a round table because the beef is the capital of electronic music and there's DJs here yeah. all, all year round. I thought, well, I can instead yeah. of all on Zoom, we can get people into the into the studio. And also, we're going to get let other people hire it and teach them how to podcast. So we're going to have two sections of the office. So we had this new office. We had this big villa. Everything was going really well. It was like a fresh start. We were buzzing. We had a sea view from the villa from the from the office. Um, it had super fast fiber optic Wi-Fi, which is something we've not had since living here. Um, like the, this internet at home now is uh, just SIM card 4G because we can't get any other type of internet. It's really like old school out here unless you live in the city centre. Um, so yeah, so all that was going really well. Uh, we were looking forward to the peak of the influx of bookings. This March and April is where most people like to decide to come and start investing and book on the retreats. Um, we'd, we had 12 retreats on sale, so it was 12 weeks of retreats uh, from the 1st of May, 2nd of May onwards, every single week, back to back. We had everything uh, scheduled. We had a team of three full-time staff. Um, we had a chef booked. We had a guy coming to help us run it. Um, so we had all, the whole infrastructure. We're just ready to go. Um, and uh, yeah, and then this happened. So the start of the COVID nineteen uh, story, let's call it. Um, I got a text off a friend called Nat about. I've looked at the date a few uh, yesterday on WhatsApp. I think it was about the twelfth of March. And she sent me a survival list on WhatsApp. And I read this and it had a list of all these things I need to go out and buy. 
And she said, I've got a friend in the government saying London's going to be on lockdown in a few weeks. And I just thought, I said to my girlfriend, I said, I think Nat's lost it. Let's read this. And I actually thought, like, it was nuts. I thought, this London's going to be on lockdown. It's, I've never heard such silliness in my life. Um, and then it sort of like slowly, gradually dawned on me that it, this was really happening. And like, we were well ahead of London, we were ahead of UK and Spain, uh, what were going on. Um, we were on lockdown well two or three weeks before UK even realized it were real. Um, but yeah, so that we were in the office and we we're looking outside every day, and there were less people in the town, and there were less people in the post office queue, and there were less people. It was just getting really weird. And they were like, we're spying out of like these these blinds in the office, and yeah, just it, you could see it was just changing, and it was getting really quiet everywhere, and people staying at home. So we got this office, but we were sharing it with the previous tenants who I knew until they moved out. And then we were going to take over. And they were still in there when I decided, I just said, this this is this is going down. This, I'm not going to be able to use this office. Um, we've got Wi-Fi company told us they probably can't install because they're stopping work next Monday. So we, would have, we wouldn't have had Wi-Fi in there because we were swapping it over. <clears throat> so I just made the decision one night to drive over and just get all the stuff out. Um, I went through three police checkpoints to go and uh, get all our stuff out of the office. And yeah, yeah we just had to bail out of the office and just put that 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 old old news now. Um, and then next phase was sitting down and uh, looking at all the costs that we had, um, stripping down. We had HubSpot. We were building a massive HubSpot website. We invested about seven or eight grand in that. And that went, we just, I just decided it's too expensive. We can't afford that now. Um, I obviously the retreat bookings just stopped more or less overnight once the, the flight news came in that flights were stopping and that was it. People stopped booking. Um, so it was at you don't know this, and we, we've never met or really spoke much in we've spoken in the group a few times, but um, in the KPI group. But it was your post that made me sit down and have a word with my team. So you put a post up about how you sat down and said, Look. We're gonna, you're going to have to take a wage rise and work more to mm. be able to keep going. So I had that conversation with my team after reading your whole story, and it like, really inspired me. Uh, and I did that, and I said, like, look, this is we're going to have to find another way to keep you all in a job to pay your bills. Um, so we had, like, a team meeting. And at the same time, I had DJs that were working on our retreats who were scheduled to work on the retreats, had lost all their income, all the gigs had been cancelled, but not just like short term, but for six months, yeah. it hit them like that. So the that's some of them were on thousands a, a weekend. Um, so we had DJs uh, who had just lost their whole livelihood overnight. They were asking me how they could come on and, and what we're doing. So we have, we do, have, I do quite a lot of online webinars and teaching and uh, as membership academy and courses. So we had a lot of DJs asking if they could join and how they can get on board with teaching music production and stuff like that. Um, so I, we literally, in a couple of days, we put these pieces together. How can we build something that's going to give the DJs that have lost work some money, keep my staff in a job, but also provide something of value that's going to be really cost efficient for people on lockdown? Um, mm -hmm. 
sort of an idea of creating like um, a Netflix for music producers. Like I'm not a music producer. This is the funny thing about it. I run a music production company now and I'm, I don't know how to produce music, right? Uh, so we thought the number one thing that people can focus on and get value and use to level up during this time is learning music production because they're not going to be getting DJ gigs. And that's what my business was like sort of um, focusing on helping DJs get more gigs. So they're not going to get gigs during a lockdown. Clubs are shut for indefinitely. So music production is something that people always don't have time to do. They're busy. Um, that's the, through all my market research. It's always the things that come up. I'm too busy to do this. I'm too busy to focus on it. I ain't got the time to uh, make tracks and finish tracks. And now they have. Um, so we put all these pieces together and came up with a concept of uh, like a Netflix for music producers. And it started off with we'll do three live webinars every week. And then it will, we'll do five live webinars every week. And then I got really excited. Uh, we put a post up in the group with some branding. We put... Anyone, would anyone be interested in Netflix for music producers? And my my uh, colleague Adam put this really wicked art, artwork piece together. Um, and we posted it in the group and said it would be interested. And we had like 380 people commented saying, ah, give me it now, let me give you my money. And it was like, okay. We didn't put any price. We didn't tell them where it was. We just said it's going to be a Netflix for music production. And um, so like... I listened to one of your podcasts actually today with JP and you talk about um, always signaling, Daniel Priestley calls it, yeah? So always te always testing your market, finding out what they want. You can come up with the best idea in the world in your head, but it might be bullshit to your audience. So we put it out there and I, I didn't expect that kind of feedback. It was phenomenal. So it was like, right, let's do this. We need to do it quickly. Um, we already had a Kajabi website built for um, an older product. And we just reused everything we've got and changed the branding, built the new automation, uh, rehashed load of our old content. So we, we already had stuff in there already. So all the previous production workshops we put in there, what, we, what we've done in the past three years as a starting point. And then I, I just I, I just said, fuck it, let's do one every single day. And it was like, what? Every day? I'm like, yeah, every day. If we do one every single day, no one else in the world will be doing this. And no one else will definitely no one will definitely not do it every day, and they won't probably have the ball to do it every day. And um, and I said, but if we do it every day, then anyone that joins in a year is going to have 365 courses already available. So it's going to be like it's it's a way to quickly grow and quickly have a bank of content in our membership academy. Um, so we launched it on a webinar. Um, we, we built this in five days. We did a web now with a big international dj called Rui de silva we were at number one in the uk charts with that touch me yeah remember that <laughs> anyway so we got him Rui de silva came on our first ever webinar he's like a really massive dj and musician producer and um the track he made was called satisfaction and um it was uk charts number one about 10 years ago but anyway so he brought in a big crowd. We pitched the offer at the end um, and we charged £25 for the membership academy. You get um, a Facebook group, you get a daily production webinar, but you also get access to all the archives. And the good thing about the webinars is the, um, the Q&A at the end, which you don't get 
and no one gets access to this sort of stuff. So, because we've got so many big artists who are in our network who I know from years and years of working in clubs, I'm just leveraging all that network from 12 years of working in the music industry to bring in the biggest artists in the world to teach music production workshops. So, like, yeah. these guys are getting to ask their heroes how they do X, Y, Z. For example, we had Roger Sanchez on. He's, he's massive. And people were stopping him and saying, how do you use that plugin to make that sound? And he was like, oh, let me tell you. And going in and, drop, and sh screen sharing, obviously, this is how we do it on Zoom. Uh, and then showing the, the actual tools that he uses to make certain noises in his electronic music. So, so yeah, it's, it's, it, we've got a USP. That's our USP. But also we've got the, the content uh, library, which is extensively growing every day. Um, so how, how, how long ago was that from today that you launched that? How long ago was that? 54 days because we're on workshop 54. So it's not hard to remember. So every day, so every day we advertise the workshop to the group, we put the number on it. So it's Mixmasters54. So it's mixmasters.tv if you want to check it out. Um, so yeah, we came up with the name. So I, I, from idea to launch and we got 200 members on launch and now we've got 350 members and we've stopped marketing. And do you know when you get to a point where, right, we've got enough members to stay, mm -hmm. to have a healthy cash flow, let's now make it 10 times better and then go back out with Facebook ads again. Mm -hmm. Um, so we're in a bit of a rebuilding the team, rebuilding the infrastructure, rebuilding the sales pages sort of period at the moment with lights we've just got a trickle of new members joining one or two a day and they're coming either organically or from a little facebook campaign we've kept running but we were getting facebook ad leads at 24 pence a lead through this as well and it were like wow everything yeah. just so like we talk about having the different mindsets of you can look at this covid19 as an opportunity or you can feel sorry for yourself and take a beating um, I just looked at every opportunity known to man, like Facebook ads. I'm like, wow, right, all in on Facebook ads, um, all in on building this this membership, and everything else we've done in the past. It's like we, we've we've rebranded, we've come up with a new name, we've changed the website. It's literally we just moved quickly and set up a whole new company, and that's uh, it's a better, for me. It's a much better. It's a much better business than the previous businesses because i've actually took a back seat to this and i can actually work on the business more because i'm not a music producer but previously when we did webinars and stuff on marketing and promotion it was all me i had to be on all the webinars i were either teaching or hosting i had to yeah. show up a lot more and i've got kids I've got family um i would like wearing too many hats now this yeah. let's take a step back and actually work on the business instead of in it because I'm not a music producer, so I can't possibly be in it, do you know? So yeah. it works out a lot better for me. I can do what I'm actually good at, right. better at, which is building the business and marketing the business and letting my team, who were brilliant at the front end, hosting and managing the groups and creating the SEO blogs and editing the videos to put up every single day, they do that, so... Yeah. Amazing. It's 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 um it's incredible to me that the you know we've done a, we've done a few interviews like this and they're, they're, one of the things I keep saying to the to our um, followers here who are listening is try and look for patterns because you you start to see patterns in those who've done exceptionally well you know during this pivot uh, during this difficult lockdown and so many things you you've said you know I've noticed other people have done that right so there's this there's this huge emphasis on acting very very quickly there's yeah. this 
there's this emphasis on um, recycling old assets that you've already got, right? Looking back at old digital assets and seeing if you can reuse them again, right? Not reinventing the wheel here. And, you know, another common theme someone's written here, uh, utilizing existing network and nurturing new relationships for mutual benefit. Definitely collaborations, right? Um, another, another, another one was um, the fact that when this happened, you know, you acted quickly. Yes, you used old assets that you already had, but then you threw everything at it. As soon as you, as soon as you, as soon as you knew that this was something that looked like it was working, and you noticed that marketing costs were even lower, that's when you were like, yeah. right, I'm going to throw everything at the marketing costs now because you yeah. know, if you, it's it's when it, what's what's the Warren Buffett quote when you know be be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are are fearful, right? If you can see. Yeah. If you can see the opportunity, now is the time to advertise and, and, to, and to get your message out there and get your product or service out there to, to people who are who are looking for it, right? And yeah. another thing you said, which I think, um, in fact, quite a few have said, certainly Mary Grant yesterday said, and that was that what the business that's emerged because of this pivot is actually more profitable now than oh, yeah. your business, despite that massive shock that you've gone through. And this should, this should be like the... One of the most inspiring things about the Pivot series for me, you know, it's it's that you're inside this massive shock. You're having to evolve super fast. You're actually creating something more profitable, something that's a, a better business, a more efficient way of doing your business, right? Yeah. Well, it, it will be massively profitable going forward. And what we've done... In the last week, we've actually employed a team of we've we've actually employed members from our community. So we've now got a team of six. So we're actually giving people work. There were guys in our community who were really talented, lost all their work. Videographers, for example, um, a guy a lad called Justin on our team now, um, and another lad called Nick, who's a SEO content writer. Something that we've never ever done. I've never really focused on SEO. I'm a Facebook ads guy and I run all my own ads so I'm really I'm into quick wins and I've always I can't wait for SEO to start gaining traction <laughs> but now this is like okay well we need to do both now I can focus on the Facebook ads and we need to start putting out blogs so we decided to put out a daily blog so we're building these now every single workshop we're editing it into a showreel like a little six minute teaser and then having a SEO blog up opt- SEO optimized blog and then soon the next day that goes out onto onto the internet and so we've got we're going to have 365 blogs a year going out gaining traction with all these production tips what no one else is going to be doing so every day we're putting out amazing value for free and yeah. then that's incredible and I, I think that's a big one isn't it you know get it's all about giving value right this is something that that um when jason grayston was on here earlier and uh, in, in another interview, you know, he, he was very, very, you know, hot on saying it's all about service. It's all about giving, giving, giving as much value as you possibly can, you know, and then and then ultimately from that, you know, you won't need to do too much marketing. You don't need to do too many ads because people will just speak about you. Word of mouth will will get out there. Right. And, and especially right now where, yeah. you know, people people want that value. I think if you can be seen as someone who's who's giving a huge amount, then it's 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 going to really work in your in your favor. Yeah, I've always worked in that way. I've um, I've always worked in a premise about giving about eighty percent of our content away for free. So of all the whole business uh, of the Facebook group BJ Growth Lab has grown to uh, nine thousand members is because of the free webinars that we posted um, over the over the years. We've we, we used to do them weekly some in some periods and we bring in experts from all over the world in different areas of the music industry. I think you you 
you touched on a good point a, a minute ago about using your network. The person, the guy that just uh, left a comment. Yeah, I'm actually yeah. considering pivoting my own personal brand into more of a um, of showing people how to utilize the network to build a business instead of feeling like it's got to be them because yeah. that's one of the things when you've got kids especially and you want to spend more time with your family like the last thing you want to be like struggling with is showing up constantly online and having to do all these live streams and webinars and if it's all based around you you've got a lot more pressure whereas yeah. if you leverage your networks more you can have less time online yourself and pay other people to come in and be the expert and that's what mix master is it's all about all the best music production experts in the world um coming and teaching so you get all these different ways of teaching all these different tips from different walks of life and different the different software they use for producing music and different genres of electronic music so you're getting all these different variables um and it's all by me leveraging my networks and my team's networks and and I think for me, it's it's, it's going to be a, a, a much more fun way of running my business. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it just sounds like the business has completely evolved, and and actually, you know, you you found a way of doing your business in a way that feels more aligned to your values, right? And it certainly it certainly looks like a very exciting vision, long term vision that you've got coming up. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, sorry, go. On. Yeah, it would be great to, to dig into. I mean, obviously, you've, you've, you've been through a lot in the last two months, right, to go through all of this. Um, yeah. And you've got an incredible network. And, you know, you, you and I are in one of the, one of the networks um, together. It's, you know, you must have seen a lot of business owners or given advice to a lot of business owners or, or you know, watched a lot of people struggle. What are the, what are the biggest mistakes that you've seen business owners make? Right, so I, 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 I've got a, there's a guy who runs a business in the in our space who uh, left me a really long WhatsApp message, and I think it it was all about is he don't want to charge anyone um, during this time, so he says he's going to let everyone who's subscribed to his uh, platform have free. He's going to make it free for three months, and then he's going to give away six month free trials to everyone um will i help him give them away and i'm like why why are you doing that it's it's really it's a really low price product for the value you get it's really it's, it's a wicked product and um i just thought to myself it would just everyone's panicking and just thinking right i need to give everything away for free and then he, he was literally going to suffer himself because of it and i said well why it's a perfect time for people mm. to focus on what you've got and to use it even more and for you to teach them how to use it better. Mm. And um, it, we had a few WhatsApps back and forth. He never looked at it like that. It just it was like a panic. It just got, everyone had told him that the world's collapsing. No one's got money. Everyone's lost the job and everyone just panics and like, shit, I need to give everything away for free. And I think mm. that's that. That's the number one trait I've seen that's... Uh, is, there's been quite a lot of people's downfall during yeah. that. And I think now it's leveled out a bit. People have actually seen um, that it's not actually that bad and not people are going to lose the jobs. The economy is going to be hit massively. But at this moment in time, it's not that bad. A lot of people are affected, obviously. There's, there's people who have lost jobs and they're not getting any money at all. Obviously, that's a, it's bad, but it's not as bad as some people made out at first. Um, 
yeah. you run a massive risk as well if you give everything if you give everything away for free that you do you know you're you're, you're sort of commoditizing your pro, your product or service and um, and you know it, it can it can be quite a long lasting damage that you're that you're kind of doing right um and, and ultimately i've seen a lot of people you know they they've, they've they've given a lot for free and now yeah like you said that's got to sort of being phased out people are like well actually this is a long-term thing now i've got to find a way of creating a revenue out of this creating income out of this to support the team support the yeah. you know, support livelihoods and um, and now I, I see this this change people are now starting to charge find creative ways to turn what they were doing into into you know products and services that people are willing to pay for and want to pay for despite the lockdown yeah, I think another thing I've noticed quite a lot, I think people do feel guilty because there's a lot of trolls on social media are hating on people for trying to sell. And the, I've, we've had quite a few really nasty comments and um, <laughs> bitterness for us trying to like sell anything and launch, especially launching a new product. Peeps, well, we had a couple of people thought it was disgusting. Like, mm. how can you think about selling more stuff? when the world's falling apart and everyone's lost work and all this sort of stuff. And it's like, they don't look at the team that you've got to support and the bills and all that sort of stuff that you, you the day-to-day -day operations of the business. Um, yeah. And then people do see the reading. I don't spend any time on social media. I hate it. Uh, I, I'm in a Facebook group. That's it. I'll go in there once or twice a day. I don't do Instagram. I don't do anything at all. I can't stand being on social media for that reason, because of all the negativity and the comments. It affects people, and the the take it. The people dare go to the supermarket because they didn't want to get hated on for buying too many toilet rolls, for example. Stupid stuff like yeah. that. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, it, it is mad. There's been there's been a huge layer of, of negativity. We, we've seen it too. I think I think people are just in sort of panic mode, aren't they? Yeah. And, yeah. And their backs up because they're because they're worried and they're nervous and they're scared about about their own situation and i think that just you know you, in, in times like this i always say you know it's nothing gets transparent like a crisis and you see you see people emerge in a crisis and they're either really negative or really positive right they're trying to yeah. they're trying to take the best out of this and finding things to be grateful for or they're the complete opposite and they're they've got this really kind of um toxicity to to the way they kind of um approach everything and and I, and I think you know it's it's difficult to judge even even a troll right, which you're really struggling with, who's maybe posting on all your stuff. It's difficult to hate a troll because you know to 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 go out of your way to post something. I mean, we we've had we've had some awful stuff you know on on adverts which are just you know family friendly martial arts, some things you can do at home to help your child type type videos, and we've had some awful a couple of people in particular. But for people to make those those sort of comments, they've got to be in a really bad place mentally. Yeah. You know, it's just such a negative place they've got to be in, right? So, so for me, I almost, I almost try and approach it with empathy or, or sympathy, and and try not to try not to let it affect me. But it is difficult. I think it is a bit difficult as a business owner when you when you're doing everything you can to support a team and to keep your business going, and then you you see stuff like that, right? Yep. I think uh, I'm I'm the same as you. Every time I see that, I just think they must be suffering. They must have some problem there, and they, you know, they've got to take it out on someone. And I just feel bless them you know um but the point what i was saying is i think with the business that affects business owners that's that's it's seeing all that sort of negativity is, is affecting the business owners stopping them pivoting themselves or keeping afloat you know so yeah it's it's, it's slowing them down at a time where they need to be going 400 miles an hour exactly right? yeah <laughs> yeah like definitely. some of my friends are like oh you, they can't believe that i've i've been so busy and 
they've all been just sat chilling, watching Netflix and all like, oh yeah, I'm just having this downtime. It's brilliant. I'm like, fucking hell, I need some downtime because <laughs> it's been non-stop. And then we did, the set, we did the set for love thing, which was like, that was the most intense thing I've ever done as well. So we, we, we're in the middle of this pivot and then we, we did the set for love last week. And then like whew, Monday, we're like a sigh of relief. Um, yeah. It, yeah, it was. Uh, it's been it's been intense, and uh, I need a holiday. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Talk, talk about patterns, right? I mean, so many people we we've interviewed, they're the busiest they've ever been since they started their business, right? And yeah. for me, that's that's all because they're going out there looking for problems to to solve. And yeah. isn't that what an entrepreneur is, right? Someone who just who's just you know nonstop looking to solve problems. They're out there, they're trying to solve problems and create services, create products, try and help people. Um, yeah. And so right now, I think you're almost seeing a bit of a shift, a bit of a, you know, when, when things get really tough, you start to see entrepreneurs creating stuff and people who are, who are more self-employed going, going the other way. And, and like someone's just said here, there's a, there's a fire sale mentality from businesses who haven't been able, uh, sorry, haven't been open to or able to adapt. Yeah, yeah that's a good, uh, good comment. You know, ad adapting, like you said, is, is one of your skills. I think, I think it's definitely, definitely a skill, right? What's, what's your advice on, on adapting and how, how to adapt, how to approach adapting so that you can do it quickly? Like I said earlier with the always test the market, find out what people actually want and what's going to get the results. Like you just mentioned then, uh, the, the getting results is we've, we've got more results from this than we've probably done in the last two years of the previous model. Uh, the villa retreats was our number one results because it was like intense seven days. You leave with a guaranteed track that you're ready to sign. And the, one of the retreats last year, we had five record deals on the retreat signed. So we get results from that. But then this is like an online version. So the mix masters, all the production workshops, and um, we've had we have we've actually run remix competitions where members have been signed to record labels already. We've had two. One of them's charted quite highly this week as well uh, on Beatport, which is the main chart for electronic music so for me every day we see massive results quicker than ever more quicker and we've got testimonials coming out left right and center where every day i'm just like i just then well we've been on this my slack channel just popped up with two new testimonials added one of my teams just popped in um so it just popped up in the top corner i'm not that reading slack by the way <laughs> um but yeah so we're getting more results and quicker results, and it's, it's it's amazing to see. I love it. It's um, it makes me feel ten times better. It's less right. of a struggle than before. Um, I can I can quite I can take a day off now as well if I need to. It's uh, it's sort of yeah. like we've got the team in place now. Where it can run itself, and I can check in and have a couple of Zoom calls a day. Um, and yeah, that's it. Yeah. Um well, one of the things I often ask, um, especially it's something I'm, I'm, I'm asking a lot in this um, Inspiring Pivot series, where we're, we're basically interviewing incredible um, business owners who have managed to pivot online rapidly. Um, have you had, any, obviously for a lot of people, having the right advice at the right time or being a part of a community which can help influence them or going through a certain course or whatever can, can, can set you up for um, being able to pivot online or, or adapt very, very quickly. Is there has there any been has there been any mentor or, or group that you've been a part of or course that you've done that's that's influenced you massively? So I, I didn't mention this earlier. Um, so much I've not mentioned. I'm, uh, I, I, I've got a lot <laughs> to say. <laughs> um, 
your post in the KPI group. So I went on the key person of influence course. I think I, would, I can't, honestly don't even know our KPI number. Not got a clue where it was. <laughs> I tried thinking then and I just don't know. Um, it was about three years, four years ago. Um, so the key person of influence course from Dent Global. Um, I'm, I'm not really that active in there. Um, I've bobbed in and out. I've, I've got it as my number one notification. So stuff pops up and I read stuff. Your post stood out like a sore thumb for some reason. I sat and digested that. And then you, I think that sort of sucked me back into KPI. And then I saw a few of Daniel's, um, Daniel Priestley's live streams. And then I kept, I kept making sure that I checked out every single one of his live streams because he was just talking complete sense. And I think he sort of virtually mentored me through this. And yeah. I listened to everything he did, everything he said. And he were, he were, he, he, he nailed on the fact about asking your audience, um, don't, because he was saying, he says in a couple of weeks' time, there's going to be a saturation of online courses. Everyone's going to be doing online courses. If you don't be that guy who does an online course, go and ask your audience first. Find out what they actually want. Um, find out if they're willing to buy it and what they're going to pay for it and do that. Don't just rush and put together. Do you actually tailor it towards what they want. Yeah, exactly. And that's what we did. And as it, I didn't mention this earlier. I completely forgot that that was the reason that we put the post in the group because I phoned Adam up. I said, yeah. look, we need to stop. We need to get, we need to, you need to call 30 people. That's what he said. He goes, you need to get on the phones and then you need to get proof that 30 people are ready to buy it. Yeah, and that's yeah. what I told Adam to go do that. And then we put the post in the group. So all that combined was like, yeah, it all came from Daniel Priestley's, um, from his live streams. And is it were actually most of the stuff he was putting in his oversubscribed group, which is a free group. So if you're listening to this, you can join that for free. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, they were quite. It still does them quite often in there. And I think, yeah, I took a lot from Daniel. And I've also got a coach in um, a mentor coach in Australia, James Shramko, who runs a podcast called Superfastbusiness.com. Um, so he's helped me through some of this. Um, yeah, I don't think I could manage without having these support groups. And, yeah, uh, used them ten times more during this. I'll, and I'm not so much now because it's like it's helped me at the front end, and then like. I don't really need to go in there as much now, but it definitely, definitely helped us launch this new business. Well, this is it, isn't it? I mean, we, we talk, we talk about you know leveraging your network and trying to help, trying to help people in your network, but but also, I mean, you just you just imagine the amount of advice and support and and you know that's that's just invaluable, right? I mean, I mean, it's it's clearly made a massive impact on on what you've done. And um, just just to just to wrap up, then, uh, Danny, what would be your 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 biggest? I mean, you've given so much advice already, but I normally finish with this. What would be your biggest um, piece of advice <laughs> to uh, to someone right now who's struggling um, struggling in this lockdown? They're struggling to pivot online, um, and I mean, you've already said to to to, to seek out what um, what their customers may want. Do you have any other advice at all to kind of close up on? I, I, if anyone asks me now what the, if they want to get into uh, putting together an online business and what's the number one thing they could do now, I'd say set up a Facebook group and start building that community because they are invaluable. I can launch a product or service now um, to my group and it will always work. And I'll get that, I get that feedback. I can put polls in there. If anytime we have an idea, I put a poll in. Um, it's invaluable. And, um, <laughs> My girlfriend's launching her business now. She does baby wearing consultancy, so slings and all that. And she's now doing the same. She's set up a group and she's 
buzzing. She's got 150 people in it in a couple of weeks, and like she's doing live streams in there. She's getting all these people from all over the world, USA and Canada in there. She's got all these big brands are now sharing her content on on Instagram like really quickly. It's grown really quickly, and um, mm-hmm. she's using the Facebook group. And it's if I could say one thing that that use the Facebook group, fill it with yeah. the right people, um, and find out what they want and create something that they want. Amazing. Danny, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. We've got so many, so many great comments. Amazing interview. Thank you for all the great advice. Uh, that was you. Thank you. And um, if anyone wants to get in, get in touch with you or, or, you know, learn more about what you're doing, what's the uh, best place for them to find you? Um, email Danny at dannysavage.com. And mm-hmm. if you want to check out our membership platform, see how we built it on Kajabi. It's mixmasters.tv. And Mix I'm on social media as that Danny Savage. But like I said, I don't post that much. All right, cool. Danny, thank you so much for coming on, mate. Really, really appreciate it. Nice one. Cheers, Sebastian. Cheers, guys, for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want to be the first to get access to our live interviews, then head over to f10x.com to apply to be a part of our online community. 